Hello, welcome to the Positive Posting Conversation, the show about how to have a better relationship with your dog and cat. I'm Zazie Todd, author of the books Wag and Purr and creator of Companion Animal Psychology blog. My co-host Christy Benson is a dog trainer and anthropologist and she also works for the Academy for Dog Trainers. We don't give advice on your pet, so if you have concerns, see your veterinarian, dog trainer or cat behaviourist as appropriate. Thanks for joining us today. In this episode, we chat with Jade Wolf about grooming dogs and doing their nails. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Positive Post in Conversation. I'm Zazie Todd. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Christy Benson. How are you today, Christy? I am very good today. Thank you, Zazie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Awesome. And I'm extra good today, actually, because we have my colleague and friend, Jane Wolf, who is here with us today. Um, Jane is the co-owner of Good Wolf Dog Training um, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, She specializes in treating separation anxiety, but we don't hold it against her. Um, She's a certified separation anxiety trainer, um, and she also graduated with honors from the Academy for Dog Trainers. Um, And she's, uh, she's also also certified through the Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers as a CPDTKA. Um, She's been working with dogs professionally since 2014 and loves working with dogs and their people. Um, And I am lucky enough to have Jane as um, a sort of a co-instructor with me in the online dog training classes that I offer. So we're delighted to have you here, Jane. And how are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming back to chat with us again, because we had a really fun chat with you last year about kindness in dog training. And today we thought we'd talk about grooming, because we know that you have a new course on using a scratch board. Um, But we're going to talk more generally about grooming, not just about how to do your dog's nails. And I know you have short head dogs. So for a short head dog, they don't need as much grooming, but they still need something, don't they? they? What do they need grooming wise? Yeah, thankfully, they don't need a ton. I am pretty lazy about grooming my dogs, (laughs) to be honest. So I feel very fortunate that it's not something I have to do a lot. But um, short-haired dogs uh, have nails. They need to be trimmed frequently. And um, they can also get disgusting. So like a bath once in a while is really helpful. And um, they do shed, too. Like uh, one of my pit bulls is actually a pit chow mix. And she really like looks mostly like a pit bull, but every spring, including right now, she starts shedding like crazy. And so uh, being able to brush her out once in a while is really very helpful. So yeah. Just just yesterday, um, so if if our audience isn't aware, I have some short hair dogs too. Um, They're actually sled dogs. So they do have a pretty intense double coat and they shed quite a bit, but their coats are nice and short. So they're easy to take care of. But we recently got two livestock guardian dogs and not only are they huge, so they just have a lot more surface area like a lot um but their hair is also really long <laughs> and they have to be groomed a lot but luckily um they're super easy to handle so you know we did a lot of work with them as puppies so that they'd be used to like having various things put on their body and being brushed and stuff and they'd literally just lay around and they're like do what you want you know <laughs> they don't care but yesterday um as we had a friend coming over and as she was pulling into the yard the dogs were outside um and she saw Sitka, who's a short-haired greyhound cross, running, and then Archer, who's a 120-pound livestock guardian dog with no spatial awareness, also running. <laughs> there was a collision. Sitka just flipped and landed like on her back in a mud puddle. And then she's like, here I am. And she's running around just like covered in mud. <laughs> I'm, my cattle dog, Indy, he also has a short coat. I did not know that cattle dogs blow their coat until uh, the first spring that I had him. And oh my God, does he shed like crazy. And he also thinks that mud is 
so fun. So like <laughs> he loves it. I have a video of him when I first got him just like blowing bubbles in a mud puddle and like rolling around in it. He has he just feels like mud is for playing in fully. So yeah, short haired dogs, they can also get very disgusting. Very yes, fast. they can. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but what about the long haired dogs? So like the livestock guardian dog puppies that we have, their hair isn't like, you know, like brush, you know, it's not like you can't put it in ponytails and braid it. But, mm-hmm. you, you know, so as someone who has a grooming course, what are you, you know, what, do, if someone was like, I'm just about to get a really long hair breed, what do you tell them about grooming? Brushing. Like you got to keep up on it, you know, really. And I guess it a little bit depends too on what their coat is like, you know, like I'm sure like your livestock guardian dogs, it's not like they have like, I don't think, right. Like continuously growing hair. So it yeah. kind of maxes out at a certain length, kind of like golden retrievers, border collies, things like that. So like brushing is really helpful. Um, but especially if it's going to be like a non-shedding dog, like a, any kind of doodle mix or something like you've got to keep up with that brushing. So that's like my number one priority because if they get matted and they do so easily, that can cause a lot of issues, particularly physical comfort for the dog too. I mean, it is really uncomfortable to have tight mats against the skin. So yeah, brushing is going to be a big one. And honestly too, um, I think you also have to, if depending on how fuzzy their feet are, I mean, obviously you have to clip dog's toenails, but if they do have really long fur on their feet, that's something that may need to be clipped Um, or at least like, I think your dog really has to be pretty comfortable with having their feet touched because you got to move the hair out of the way to like even get to the toenails. Uh, So, but brushing is definitely the biggest one. Yeah. So I have a Shih Tzu, so he's only little and luckily he does not roll around in muddy puddles. Thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so through the winter, we've kept him quite short because then he doesn't need too, too much brushing just a bit every day. Um, but through last summer we kept him quite long and he's got very silky hair it's like my hair so that's a lot of brushing and also under his eyes and I think a lot of dogs you have to wipe around the eyes or wipe wipe on the face as well especially dogs with kind of folds in the face you might need to wipe the folds to stop them from getting infections in there too so yeah it's quite a lot to think about with some some breeds of dog definitely yeah a friend of mine is now fostering an English bulldog and um wow they, for not having a short coat, the grooming requirements of this dog are massive. Just his, he's not a very well put together bulldog, to be honest. And so it's a lot of like cleaning between all the folds on his face and in between his toes and things. And it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that I'm so thankful that we thought to to do when they were puppies, although yeah. Are, the puppies are cash enough that it probably wouldn't matter is, is to be able to like manipulate their ears to get the dreads behind them because yes. that hair is so fine, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, I would rather just cut the dreads off than, than I, I don't even brush my own hair. I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna, like, spend all this time making the puppies beautiful. Although when they're brushed out, I do want to take like a portrait cause they do look beautiful, but, but the dreads behind the ears for sure is something that you just, you got, you just have to deal with. So I was mm-hmm. glad that we had Soleil who's has a similar coat and who taught us the importance of being able to handle your dog's ears like that. Yeah. And then Archer has ear stuff a little bit, so we have to clean his ears out. Um, mm-hmm. So, and so just having, you know, that the comfort on his part of me, us being able to manipulate his ears, reach inside and, you know, it, it's, it's wonderful that <laughs> I'm so glad we thought to do that when they were puppies for sure. Well, especially- Go ahead. Especially too, if there's ever any like ear infection issues too, like even, I mean, Nina doesn't really 
she doesn't have hardly any hair on her ears at all, but she has gotten ear infections a couple of times. So even me just working on like being able to touch her ears generally has also helped with that stuff too. So for sure. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So we are, I think we're basing a lot of what our conversation has been up to now just on dogs we have interfaced with in real life. Um, and And we all agree that grooming really matters to a dog's, not just their appearance, you know, to their health and, and to their comfort in their own bodies. Um, so Zazie, what, what does the research say? Is there, has there been research about, you know, is grooming important and what kind of grooming is important? What's going on in the literature? Well, there hasn't been as much research on grooming as perhaps we would like, really. But I, there are three studies that I thought I'd mentioned to you, and they're more about the stress levels of the dog when they're getting groomed, because obviously for some dogs it can be quite stressful. So there was a study that took a um, small number of dogs. I think it was just nine dogs, but they gave them basically a professional grooming session including being shampooed, having the shampoo rubbed in a rinse, repeat of all of that, and then getting blow dried with a hairdryer. And they took video of them beforehand and after to see if there were any differences in stress levels. And actually, they were stressed before and stressed after. Um, So there wasn't a difference. And they don't really know from that particular study which parts of it might be more stressful for a dog, for example. So that's something that we need to know still. But of course, Grooming could also be a pleasant experience, potentially, if you think of stroking the dog. Sometimes brushing the dog can be a bit like stroking the dog. So there was a study a few years back from Australia where they um, took a grooming brush and they brushed dogs in different places, different parts of their body, and looked at their heart rate and how much it varied. And grooming reduced the heart rate, so it seems that probably it was not stressful for them. It was calming for them. Yeah, so that's nice to know. But of course, this was not the same as what you do in a professional grooming session. And they 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 also found that it didn't really matter which part of the body of the ones that they picked to, te- to test. They all seem to be like relaxing places. So you can imagine the dogs enjoying being brushed. So there's a big difference between those two situations. But there's a more recent study, which is especially relevant to thinking about dogs' nails, because Petra Edwards and her colleagues um had dogs have a nail trims at a mock vet i think she i think there were 35 dogs and she also asked their guardians about how often they cut their dog's nails and what it was like and they actually found that almost half of the dogs struggled excessively or became aggressive and then they had to stop for at least one nail that happened if if that happened i mean the the protocol for the study they they weren't about stressing dogs out they were wanting to see how they would do so if they struggled then then they would stop so they weren't always able to finish it and people had really varied answers about how often they thought their dog's nails needed to be done um because a third of people said two to five times a year and just under a third of people said never um, which surprised me because I none of my dogs have ever never needed their nails done. It's always been something that does need doing, but maybe they walk a lot on roads or surfaces or something. I don't know, but that's what they said. But perhaps the most worrying thing is that almost a third of them said their dog had had a painful experience with nail trimming. Mm. And I think that's hard for the dog and it's hard for the guardian because then you're struggling with getting the nails done. And the dog obviously is going to remember so it becomes harder to do it next time and I think this is why it's so important to teach your dogs to enjoy or to find a way to do it that that they're okay with basically and I think a lot of people can struggle with doing nails but 
sometimes people don't do enough. Like those people who never do their dog's nails, that that worries me. So Christy, I wanted to ask you, how do you respond to people who aren't doing the bare minimum of grooming, whether it's brushing or nails, without making them double down? How do you tell them how important it is to do? Yeah, that's, I think that's an, that's a good question. That's kind of like the core of what we do as dog trainers. Um, so I guess if I'm in a situation where I'm speaking with someone who has hired me to help them with their dog, um, and even if it's not for the same issue, even if, you know, they've hired me because the dog is like leash reactive or something. Um, if I see that there are mats or nails, you know, that are long enough that they are, they're impacting the dog's welfare, I will definitely bring it up. Um, and I think it, it, that's one of those things where you're really judging um, you're judging how you're interacting with that human, how they're, you know, are, are they feeling really defensive? Are they, you know, are they going to react poorly if you kind of bring it up um, plainly? Um, but I think, uh, and, and I'd be curious to hear what both of you, <laughs> how you would, you know, bring this up too. But I think um, one way to bring it up is is to try and really get a weigh in of, have you ever had something uncomfortable on your body? You know, like, have you ever had um, you know, a, like I think a sore heel or something like a rock in your shoe, um, but that you, you know, imagine if that was something that you had all the time and and you you couldn't really get past it. Um, and I also think um, that that sort of bringing up that the fact that um, that the dog may be less of a good dog, you know, not a good dog, but if the dog's in pain, they're not going to be as much fun. Um, they might not want to go on walks. They might. So all the things that people want that they have this sort of idealized version of 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 what their dog should be. If the dog's uncomfortable because their nails are too long and the shape of their foot has been altered because the nails are too long, um, then I think that we can be like, oh, you know what? You would probably be having more fun with your dog if they had more comfortable feet. Um, so make it about, you know, their enjoyment of their dog if if needed. And then I also think that that we as dog trainers and as dog as part of a dog professional, you know, sort of realm, we aren't getting the information out that dogs need nail care often. You know, they need nail care once or twice a month, I'd say, is what I aim for. Although, you know, it's not like I hit it all the time. Right. Um, so I think that we can be like, wow, you know what? I Until I became a dog trainer, I didn't know that I needed to cut my dog's nails every two weeks if I could. You know, I, I didn't know that dog's nails should really be quite short, you know, that they for them to be comfortable. I didn't know that. That was not something that was presented to me. You know, when, when I got a puppy, um, my first ever puppy, long before I became a dog trainer, what the stuff that, and we read tons of books, and it was like about obedience. You know, it wasn't, people weren't like, here's how to make your dog's welfare enhanced throughout the dog's life. Here's what you need to do with the puppy. And I think that as 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 puppy trainers and as as breeders we need to make dogs comfortable like by socializing them to having their nails trimmed but also we need to be breeding dogs that are comfortable having strangers handle their feet and and ears and etc right so like that was a tangent but i think i want to make sure that i don't immediately judge and make the person feel um upset and worried and oh my god i've done this bad to my dog i want to be like i want i want to start with empathy and be like i i used to think that too um and then i also want to say a little bit like so how how is it for you when you try and trim your dog's nails and i bet it's going to come back as i can't even or my dog will bite me or it's brutal and i feel bad because she doesn't like it or i i got the quick once and now i can never handle her feet again kind of thing um so i think coming in a, in in sort of a make sure that there's empathy first and then also be like how can i help you how can i really like make sure that 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 you and i together as a team can make it so that you can trim your dog's nails and 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 here's why because it it will give you this like you know, it'll be so much better for you and so much better for your dog. So, yeah, I was totally same, Christy. I, I think like 
I don't want to come from a place of judgment because there is a really high likelihood that that person is not grooming their dog because their dog hates it, which I can really respect too. Like you're not trying to stress your dog out. I so appreciate that. But usually also point out like your dog would probably move through the world more physically comfortable. I often use the the rock and the shoe example too. It is annoying, you know, it hurts kind of. And, um, and then I often will just give them some like, Hey, we can actually make your dog like this. You know, we can make this a fun experience for the both of you. Um, let me help you with that. You know? So, yeah. And the the thing about the fur as well, it's not just their comfort in terms of not having knots that pull. It's also their temperature regulation because the fur is so important for keeping them not too hot, not too cold. And if they have big knots, then it's, it's not working properly like it should do. So that's Mm -hmm. quite a problem for the dog really. I think about vision a lot too, especially with like when I used to work with more reactive dogs, especially small dogs where I'd be like, they can hardly even see this little guy needs like a ponytail or something so that we can, he can actually perceive what's going on around him. It might actually change our training plan a little bit if he's physically able to see better. So yeah. yeah. So I I know dog need a ponytail. (laughs) A little Brett. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know sometimes when people come to me with you know, questions about grooming their dog and their dog is, has, has like a, a, is both really fearful or reactive to being groomed and has really bad mats. I'll often sort of suggest that they talk to their vet first about a sedated groom, like just to, just to say, let's get this dog comfortable now, which will give you, which will open up this opportunity for you to then start to work on it. So you won't be like, I'm going to start chipping away at a mountain of Mm -hmm. comfortableness, you know? And I, I think, you know, to, I'm not a vet, and so I can't talk to the safety of any dog being sedated. But I do think that there, there, if if your if your vet suggests that it's safe and says that this is a good option for your dog, it's a nice way forward to give your dog immediate comfort and allow you to start working at a really, really comfortable pace for both of you. Um, totally. And also that said, I think some people um, don't have the time, inclination, whatever to to you know, or or if if a person has been traumatized by cutting their dog's nails. Um, then they may not want to do that. And and in these cases, I think it's reasonable that that a person tries to find a good groomer. Um so so Jane, what like what's what do you say when people are like, help me find a good groomer? What are we looking for here? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, finding a group good groomer that you like a lot can be kind of tricky because usually the good ones are uh very booked. Uh but um so first of all, fear free, uh, which is like a, a pretty cool uh program that teaches various types of dog professionals how to handle animals without stressing them out. They now have a grooming course, which is so cool. So, um, you know, especially if somebody's contacting me, because uh, I take clients all over the place, if they're contacting me in an area that I'm not familiar with, I usually will suggest like check there first. Um, they have a, a directory so you can look up your zip code and see if there's someone near you. Um, so that's usually my first go-to because chances are those people are going to go a little slower. They're probably going to use food. Um, and if there's no one nearby, then I usually will suggest like no reason not to like sort of interview a groomer. Uh, certainly too, if you have friends with dogs with similar coats, um, it's a good idea to ask who they use. That might be a, a good idea too. But, um, yeah, I would probably start asking, you know, the groomers, you know, first of all, are they going to use food while they're there? That usually can help significantly. You know, are they comfortable stopping if your dog says, no, thank you. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, you know, or are they just like, 
try to just get the job done. I really would just prefer stopping and then maybe going back a different day um, if possible. Um, so yeah, you really just want to be able to find somebody who has like the space and time to go at your dog's pace and, you know, give them a little bit of space to maybe run around a little bit, you know, like try to make the whole experience fun. So fear freeze my number one, and then maybe doing some interviewing and finding out like, how exactly do you do this? And I'll second what you said, Christy, too, about the vet. I, if I really don't know of some place and we're having trouble finding someone and that dog does have a lot of handling issues, usually what I will do then is say, let's call your vet and see if they can help out. Obviously that's not like the forever goal, but again, if they can just get that dog in a better place physically by maybe using some type of medication or sedating them and just getting it done, it might not be the most beautiful groom in the entire world, but now you're starting from a place where we can work on this and then make their next grooming experience with an actual groomer a little bit better. Um, and lastly, I know you were asking about finding a groomer so that assumes that they really don't want to do it themselves, but you know, it's not a bad idea to have some skills to at least maintain between grooms or maybe to lengthen the time between grooms. So I do think it's helpful that people have some real basics of like, I know how to properly brush my dog's coat, this particular type of coat, or I can trim their nails because they're a jumpy doodle and they keep, you know, scratching my neighbor every time they come over or something. Like I think being able to take care of those little things on your own is really helpful and um, can mean less money to groomers. So <laughs> I'm happy to help with that too, if they want to get into it. That's great. And I, I know that you have a new course out now about using a scratch board to do your dog's nails. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But first of all, what kind of person would you recommend this to, to actually use a scratch board for the dog's nails? And can any dog learn to use a scratch board? Totally. Any dog can do it. And I say anyone should do it. Like really, if you're up for it, do it. Um, I think that like, first of all, the training for it is not hard. You know, like I've taught dogs to do it in a day, you know, like it really, even dogs that had a harder time I was done with it by the end of the week. Like it really didn't take that long and it's fun. Like my dogs get like, when I bring out my scratch board now, the other dogs are like screaming at me because they're like, it's my turn. Like <laughs> I have to start separating dogs. And like, you guys are going to get in a fight over the scratch board right now. Like we can't, we can't have that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, and it really tuckers them out and I get to, I mean, using a scratch board really, basically what they're doing is digging on a piece of sandpaper that's on like literally duct tape to a piece of wood. So they're also getting to do a thing that dogs love to do, which is digging. Um, and, but they're doing it in this like controlled way. That's also helping you. So yeah, I think, I think it really is a fun project to do with your dogs. Even if your dog likes having their nails trimmed, there's no reason that they can't like at least get it started for you. And then you can get their dew claws and be done. And I really think any dog really can do it. Um, my senior dogs still like to do it. I keep it easy for them. Like we put, um, uh, both of my girls are probably close to 13 now. So their joints are a little sore now. And so I make sure they've got like a grippy mat under it so they don't slip because they are only on their back feet when they're doing it. And um, you may, you know, certainly if your dog has some type of disability, maybe they're missing a limb or something, you might have to modify the plan a little bit. Um, but I feel like they could still probably do it. You know, I've seen like 
tripod dogs do things. And I'm like, this is incredible to me that you are just doing this. Um, and I have a friend who has um, deaf and blind dogs and they also can do a scratch board. And my deaf dog loves his scratch board. I mean, the, that doesn't really make too big of a difference for this, but I don't see any reason that a blind dog couldn't do it either. Cause it's usually quite large. And so, yeah, I think everyone should do it. It's fun. Cool. Yeah. So I think um, one of the things that I find personally is I don't particularly like cutting my dog's nails. All of my dogs are are now comfortable having their nails done, um, but there's so many of them and there's so many nails. <laughs> it's a chore. So I, I find myself putting it off. So, so what tips do you have for your clients about how to remember to do it or how to like motivate themselves to do it as often as needed? And how often do you recommend that people cut their na- dog's nails? I'm going to be honest. I'm also lazy about this. And I think honestly, because my dog's don't require a whole lot of grooming. It is really easy to forget. So I likewise try to do it about every two weeks. If we've been on a lot of walks in um, on the cement or they've been uh, playing in my driveway or something, I maybe don't have to do it as frequently. Um, so like winter, I usually have to do it more than in the summer. So I honestly, I do it by how my dog's nails look mm-hmm. more than anything, but I would say it's probably about every two weeks or so. Um, and it's an easy thing to forget about sometimes, to be honest with you. I, I really, um, it's often something I do in the evening when my dogs are driving me nuts and I want to unwind. So I try to, at least most nights of the week, uh, do like something fun with them in the evening before we wind down for the night, just so that they'll kind of settle in. And often that's when I end up doing their nails. Um, another thing I was thinking about, I realized I do, and this isn't as frequent as I would hope, but um, every month on the first of the month, they get their, uh, heartworm and flea preventative. And I often also use that day to be like, all right, let's clean your ears out. Let's make mm-hmm. sure your teeth are okay. Yep. Okay, great. Your teeth are fine. I should brush them and I don't do it as often as I should, but, um, I know, uh, and that's often also when I'm like going to give them a bath as well. So I think that's also a time that I'm like, and eh, let's take care of those nails too. So that's something I do very scheduled. I don't forget. It's also when I have to like pay a lot of my bills. <laughs> so it's like a big day the first. Um, so I think it is not a bad idea though, to like maybe tie it to another thing you already do with your dog regularly and, mm-hmm. uh, try to make it sort of a habit and a routine. Um, thankfully my dogs also like having their nails clipped now. So it really is now something that I look forward to and not something I'm just putting off where in the past, it was something that I was like, Oh my God, I can hear your tone up. You can hear her tone up right now. I don't know if you heard that, but <laughs> um, <laughs> they need to be done soon. But that used to really stress me out, you know, to be like, Oh my God. And then I don't want to do it. I put it off because I know it's going to be just like such a hassle. And now I'm like, let's do something fun. I'm going to go dremel Nina's nails now, you know? So yeah, try to tie it to something you already do. And if that ends up just being the like once a month thing to start, I think that's a great place to start with. It does. Well, good. Timber and Soleil both like getting their nails cut. So, well, they don't like getting their nails cut, but they like the treats. And they, so they recognize that this context is coming, right? So I have to put Timber in like my bedroom and shut the door. Um, and then Soleil will stand at the door and be like, it's on. I'm going to brawl. And Timber will be like, no, it's on back. I'm going to brawl you. So they, they like guard the nail cutting context because they get so much delicious food. <laughs> My dogs used to, uh, my old dog Gomez, uh, he loved getting his nails dremeled and sadly he has passed now, but if we were dremeling another one of the dog's nails, you could find him 
trying to lay as close to you as possible on his side because that's how he do his nail with his little feet out just wagging his tail and every once in a while he'd like paw at you like come on me next bud like come on me next it's just not cute to be like he just put himself into position and was like i'm ready you know <laughs> i love it yeah. and i think for if we if there's people in our audience right now who aren't familiar with how we train dogs to be comfortable having their nails trimmed, I just want to clarify that none of our dogs were like that to start with. I, I suspect many of, in, unless you're lucky enough, like us with, with the puppies, we were able to condition them to be comfortable having their nails handled as puppies before they became juvenile dogs, which makes a huge difference. But if you get a dog as an adult and they already don't like it, which is very typical, and I think most dogs naturally don't, um, then our dogs are like this and they enjoy be- their nails being trimmed because we trained them. So it's not like a characteristic that some dogs have. And well, my dog doesn't like nail trims. No, they're just not trained, you know? So there, and there are awesome training plans, which will walk you through. And in, in a short period, a couple of months, you will have a dog who will also be pawing you or fighting another dog because they want their nails trimmed. So I just wanted to put it out. It's not like an, a trait. It's a training task. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nina, yeah. who you've seen kind of wandering around, who suddenly has decided to wake up from her nap the moment I'm on camera, of course. But <laughs> uh, Nina was a extremely hard to handle dog when I first adopted her. I got her as an adult and like she tried to bite me one time changing her collar. You know, I mean, it was like she um, is not the friendliest. <laughs> Did not used to be the most friendly dog. And now um, I have a video, the video may be in my course too. I can't remember if it's in there or not um, of her just laying on on my bed with me dremeling her nails, just wagging her tail like crazy. Like she genuinely enjoys the process now. And that was not always true. So yeah, no, I, she did not come to me like this (laughs) at all. We had the same with my late dog Bodger. And when we'd only just adopted him, he had an injury to his paw and we took him to the vet. And it took, I think it was four people sat on him so that the vet could look at his paw. And obviously we these days we know not to do to do that unless it's really necessary and there are better ways. And my own vet would do, you know, is and also became able to look at his paws because I worked on it. So like Christy says, it's the training. And I was lucky I found Bodger especially difficult, but Gene Donaldson made me a special plan for the husbandry training that helped to get Bodger through. And it took a very, very, very long time. Um, because he was so stressed about it and probably I was still learning and and getting better as a trainer at that point. But it it really does make such a big difference to do the training. So, yeah, good. So And also just just another, another hit in there about if you have a puppy, you have an opportunity to get them comfortable with having their nails handled. So handle their feet every day. Handle their feet, give them a treat. Handle their toe, give them a treat. Cut the teeny tiniest liver off, give them a delicious treat. If if you you know, you can give yourself the joy of an easy to nail clip dog by doing some work probably with their um with them as their puppies and also breeders breeding dogs who are easy to handle is a thing you know we can do this and especially for breeders who are producing tons of pet dogs who have a very hard to groom coat <coughs> doodle um let's make our doodles handleable like everybody loves a, a beautiful doodle they're very popular and people love their personality and their look but let's make them easy to handle because they need so much grooming so i think you know we can give the gift to the people who are going to end up with these dogs in their families of having handleable dogs can i just interject too i was just going to say like and for anyone who already has an adult dog who's like really struggling don't be scared when we say like, take the time, you know, it can take a little while. Like, I think that can feel really, really intimidating too. And I think the point of it is we, 
by take your time, what we really mean is go at your dog's individual pace. For some dogs, it's going to take a long time. And for others, it may not. And I, and I don't always think that their reaction is a great indication of what you're getting yourself into. Uh, like Nina, for instance, Nina loves training. So that really helps me out. She's a nut. Like if she sees my treat bag come out, she's like, I'm ready. Um, Nina was a very handling shy dog. She had been aggressive in the past. Um, what I really needed was a good plan and I had a good plan and we actually got from her growling and raising her lips and, and probably biting me to a dog wagging her tail while I dremeled her nails and maybe a month or two, like it really did not actually take me that long to do. If your dog takes longer than that, that's also totally normal. Uh, my cattle dog who I had as a puppy did work on, well, he's like eight months. So we did work on foot handling. He unfortunately had an injury. Now he does not want his feet touched. And, uh, that's been like many, many months of just getting him comfortable. So it really just depends on the dog. So don't be in, immediately intimidated. If you're like, Oh my God, I'm going to spend four years working on this. You may not <laughs> you know, just make sure you're going at your dog's pace. So yeah, that's so important. So we're here with Jane Wolf of Good Wolf Dog Training, and we've been talking about grooming. And now it's time to move on to the news and books section. And I know you have some big news, Jane, because you have a brand new course all about using a scratch board to do your dog's nails. Tell us about it. Yeah. So um, the scratch board um, is called Start From Scratch. And the course, it's free. So anyone who wants it can just have it. And really what it is, is sort of a mini course that came from my larger grooming course. Um, so the larger course is called Fresh and Fearless, and it covers nail trims, baths, and brushing. Um, so I kind of pulled out just this piece of that course um, just to teach dogs how to use a scratch board. And I really like this a lot because, um, so as I mentioned, the scratch board is basically a piece of wood with some sandpaper on it. It's very like simple. And you basically teach your dog to dig at it, and that files their nails down. Um, it's primarily just going to work on the front nails. So, um, those tend to get a little bit longer than back nails though, too. And there are some ideas in the course too, for like how to keep all of their nails looking pretty good. Um, but they dig at it and then file their nails down themselves, which is really great. Um, so the course has a step-by-step -step training plan and a video that goes along with it, uh, where you can see me teaching my dog, Asha, um, literally from scratch. She'd never done it before. So it's like me starting at the beginning and going through all the steps and uh, walking you through how to do it yourself. That's awesome and amazing that it's free as well. So if someone wants to do this, where do they go to find it? They're going to find, it's going to be on Christy's site soon along with my other course. Christy They'll be able to find it at um, christybenson.com where it has all of the courses that we have. Perfect. Thank you. And I have some news today too, because I'm really excited that the paperback edition of Purr, The Science of Making Your Cat Happy, will be out on June the 6th. So that's really exciting to me. The, the hardback has been very well received and I'm thrilled that it's going to be a paperback as well. So for anyone who prefers a paperback, you can get that very, very soon. And as well, I've got two webinars to tell you you about. So in May, um, I'm presenting two webinars. One is about how to make your dog happy. And that's on Tuesday, May 9th at 10 a.m. Pacific or 1 p.m. Eastern. And the other one is how to make your cat happy. And that's on Tuesday, May 30th at 10 a.m. Pacific as well, or 1 p.m. Eastern. And both of those are free. And they're about how to make your dog or cat happy according to science. So they've got lots of tips in them, including tips from my books. And um, I'll put the link to that in the show notes. So you'll be able to sign up for that at my website, companionanimalpsychology.com. 
gmail.com as well. So talking about books, the book club has moved on to a new book. And this month, the book club is reading Sentient by Jackie Higgins. It's called Sentient, How Animals Illuminate the Wonder of Our Human Senses. And it's a really interesting read because she takes different animals which have amazing senses that are different from ours, but then she relates it back to our own sense. So, for example, it starts with vision Mm -hmm. and the first chapter is about color vision and what it tells us about our own color vision. The second chapter is about, I think it's called a spook fish. Um, I can't remember its Latin name. Anyway, some creature that lives very, very deep down in the sea and it has um, adjusted its eyes. It has like four eyes. Um, and it's got amazing eyes. And she uses that to tell us about our own vision in the dark. And she's got chapters about catfish and taste, um, a mole and our sense of touch, uh, a, obviously a dog for smell. She's got a bloodhound and what, and what the bloodhound's nose tells us about our own sense of smell. So it's really interesting because it relates what we know about the animals back to us and our own sense. It's really a book about us. So that's what the book club is reading this month. And if anybody wants to join the book club, it's a Facebook group and it's open to anyone who is a subscriber to my newsletter. And again, the link to that will be in the show notes. So Jane, what are you reading at the moment? Yeah. So I just finished this book. Um, It's called All That She Carried and it's by Taya Miles. Um, This book, oh my gosh, it's so good. It is just uh, so it's um, like really beautifully written, often like very poetically written book, looking at the history of American slavery, um, starting with before the U.S. was its own country until now. Um, and it's doing that through an artifact that was found that came from an enslaved family. And they're using that uh, to textile to kind of like walk you through the story, like the story of our history and also uh really like forces you to rethink what we consider like a sort of like official document like an official historical document and using things like textiles as historical documents which is really amazing um it really points out that like like many historical documents throughout time you know, like the, the history that we know was written by the people who were in power. And unfortunately, those people also owned human beings. So um, this really like forces you to really broaden what we see as like historical texts. Because um, a lot of that, you know, written history was really intentionally kept out. Um, so we don't necessarily have all of that. But we do have some of these like really incredible textiles and things that also tell a really complex story. Um, it's incredible. And like I said, the way that the author writes is just really powerful and beautiful. And really the whole story gives so much context to the world we're living in right now. And I think she does such a good job at kind of bringing the history to the present. Um, and I can't recommend it more. It's just like incredible. I'm going to read it a second time. It's so good. So check it out. Yeah. It's called all that she carried. Thank you. Sounds really good. (laughs) (laughs) I see that. (laughs) That's great. And Christy, what are you reading at the moment? I'm not reading something as didactic. (laughs) I'm reading reading a book called How to Tell if Your Cat is Plotting to Kill You. (laughs) It's by the oatmeal dude. Um, And it's just sort of like his the regular comics that he has that are sort of like the the cat comics i think it's just like expands this into a much bigger um 
story. And sometimes I don't like it when stories or movies or whatever turn animals, the animals in our care into people, because I think it makes it easy for us then to sort of ascribe human morality to animals, and then we start to mistreat them. So I often find that problematic, and it makes me like not necessarily enjoy a book. In fact, I, I typically can't stand reading books where there's even a dog as a pet in it, you know, like they're, unless someone happens, you know, you occasionally are reading a book and, and someone will say, I grabbed my dog's harness in a bag of treats, and then you're just like, I love you so much, you know. <laughs> um, but for some reason, the way that even though these cats have been humanized, they're, they also have like just this hilarious agency that I think really does cats a favor almost. <laughs> so even though they're, they're, I, I think there's, there may be the opportunity for someone to read it and be like, oh, but so, so cats, you know, ha- think morally and therefore should be sort of subject to human moral, you know, sort of punishment. Um, it doesn't come across that way to me. So instead, it just really makes me laugh that, that cats have this like sort of sense of hilarious self-regard. Um, so anyway, that's what I'm reading right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fun. And then my book is very different again because I'm rereading The Leopard um, by Giuseppe Tomasi de Lampedusa. And rereading because I read it for the first time decades ago with a book club that I was in at the time. But I picked it up because I saw there's a novel that came out last year about the writing of this book. Um, And I've got that novel. It's called Lampedusa, but I haven't started it yet. And I thought I'd like to reread this first. And it's also because I felt like reading a book about decay and demise. And really, that's what this book is about, um, because it's about a Sicilian Prince um, Don Fabrizio and the, the decline of his family, um, and he he lives somewhere where other people like are starting to get money. The the mayor of the town where he lives has engaged in various illegal business dealings and got lots of money as a result. So he's he's new rich, and so the the nobility is losing its its power. Um, at the time, and it's also a time when there's fighting around the unification of Italy. So it's set in Sicily. And his he um, his nephew signs up to fight, and he ultimately decides to let his nephew marry the mayor's beautiful daughter in order to try and have more influence for the family rather than his own daughter who is in love with his nephew. Um, and so it's really interesting. It has a dog in it. The dog actually is quite an important character, and Don Fabrizio thinks that his dog has everything easy because he doesn't have to worry about money and influence and power and things like that. So it's it's a beautifully written book. It's It's a classic of Italian literature, and I think it's one of the um, most ever sold Italian books or something like that. So it's a very popular book and I, I wanted to just read it again before I move on to the other novel. So I will put the titles of all of these books and links to them in the show notes. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Jane. If someone wants to know about your courses, Fresh and Fearless or Start from Scratch, they go to christybenson.com. If they want to know more about you, what's your website and social media? Where can they find you? Yeah. So you can find me at Goodwolf. Um, on, we're on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and it's Wolf, like my last name, W-O-L-F-F. And our website is goodwolf.com. And uh, yeah, please bug me. If anyone wants to chat about grooming or really anything, bug me. I'm happy to anytime. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today and for making this amazing new course that's free for people. That's brilliant. So thank you very much indeed. And thank you everyone, so much for having me again. Thank you. And everyone who's watching, please hit the subscribe button and then you'll make sure that you never miss an episode in future. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Positive Posting Conversation. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the show and write us a review via your podcast app. For the show notes, visit companionanimalpsychology.com. This show was produced by Zazie Todd. The music is Melody from Paris by Studio Le Boost. See you next time. Thank you.